Let's pray together. Father, in this time, we pray that your presence would be with us. We thank you that you've been with us thus far, and we pray now through your word you would come. I yield my mouth to you and ask that it would both be free and a slave, that it would be a slave that I would say no more and nothing more than what your word says and hug tightly to your word and free to say all that you intend to say. And Holy Spirit, yield myself to you that you might speak in and through me. We pray also for your people. We pray for their ears as much as we pray for my mouth, that you would help them to hear. And in hearing, we would not be hearers of the word only and so deceive ourselves, but do what it says. And so we pray even now, before the word even goes forth, that you would work on our hearts, that it would be receptive to your word to not only receive it, but to do it. And that obedience would be the mark that we've actually heard. Let us be an obedient people today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the general trend that I've seen in churches for Mother's Day and Father's Day, happy Father's Day to you all, by the way, is that on Mother's Day, churches tend to be sweet and syrupy, and so the pastor will come up and say something really nice to all the women, like, you women are such a blessing, and we love you. You're like magic, you know, pixie dust that has been sprinkled onto our lives, and we're so grateful for you. And then Father's Day rolls around, and the tone shifts a bit, and it's, you scum, you disgusting men, you illiterate, beer-drinking, sports-watching baboons. When are you going to get your act together and so on? And the men are sitting there going, what happened to the pixie dust and the, and the love and all of that and so on? Well, who am I to break with tradition? So, no, I'm, I'm kidding. On Mother's Day, we were looking through the book of 1 Timothy, and we paused so that we could take a closer look at the biography of Timothy himself so that in seeing his story, we would catch a glimpse of his godly mother, and his godly grandmother, and we gave a vision for what motherhood looks like. So I think it's fitting now that on Father's Day, we're also going to pause our series in 1 Timothy, and we're wrapping up that series in the next coming weeks. And instead, we're going to look again at the biography of Timothy, look at his story, except this time to consider the relationship he had with his spiritual father, with his spiritual parent, a man named Paul. And we want to look at their relationship so that we can learn some things that might be applicable to our lives. Now, if you're a visitor here or you're new with us on this Sunday, you might be asking yourself, who's Timothy and who's Paul? If you grew up in a Catholic background, you probably heard of Paul as St. Paul. If you grew up in a Protestant background, you might have heard of him as the Apostle Paul. If you grew up with no church background, you just need to know this was a follower of Jesus, an early Christian leader. Paul didn't start out as Paul. His name was actually first Saul. He hated Jesus, hated the church, but then Jesus swept up into his life and he became this believer and he decided to tell everyone he could about Jesus Christ. And so he went from city to city telling everyone who would listen about Jesus Christ. And wherever he went, churches started springing up as people believed and huddled together around the good news of Jesus and what he had done. One of the cities that Paul goes to is a city called Lystra. And that shows up in Acts 16 in your Bible. And in Acts 16, he shows up in Lystra, and there he meets this young guy named Timothy. Now, a little bit of background on Timothy. What we know of Timothy is that he's this young man who's got this really godly mother and really godly grandmother that pour the scriptures into Timothy's heart and life. 
so that even at a young age, like we prayed for the kids we just dedicated, even from a young age, their, his heart was being opened and awakened to the things of God. Now, however, we don't know much about his father. In fact, the little that we do know, the one sentence that's given about him is basically that he wasn't a believer. He wasn't a Christian. He wasn't religious. And so in terms of a spiritual father in his life, Timothy didn't have one. In terms of a godly dad, there was none. There, there was no dad in Timothy's life that was teaching him the Bible or telling him the stories of the scripture or talking to him about the gospel or bringing him to worship. None of that was going on. In fact, the one verse we have about his dad seems to be that he stood in the way of religion in their home rather than supporting it. And so you can imagine the kind of home Timothy grew up in. Timothy didn't grow up in this perfect Christian home. You can imagine the sort of conflict that brews with mom being a believer and dad not being a believer. How are we going to raise the kids? What are we going to teach them? Are we allowed to bring them to worship on Sundays? Are we allowed to give money to the church? You can imagine the kind of conflict that brews in that kind of home. And that's where Timothy grew up. If you're talking about godliness or a spiritual figure in Timothy's life, Timothy was fatherless with that. And, and that's something I think many of us in this room and certainly many in our city could certainly relate with. Some of us grew up with dad present, some of us grew up with dad absent, but present or absent, many of us have struggled with a sense of fatherlessness. And certainly our city and our culture struggles with fatherlessness, and we know of the deep impact that comes from fatherlessness. I was reading some statistics in our society on the impact of fatherlessness. For example, 63% of youth suicides in our country happen from fatherless homes. Or 90% of all homeless and runaway teens come from fatherless homes. 85% of all children who show behavioral problems come from fatherless homes. 90% of youths that are in prison come from fatherless homes. Right? You, you could read the statistics. They're a mile long of the impact that fatherlessness has on our society as a whole. I read this week an article that said the number of young men that join gangs is skyrocketing and particularly among fatherless young men. And that these gangs step in and provide what they had been missing their whole life. Structure and order and even the strictness is something they crave because of the fatherlessness and the wounds that they have deep within. And you hear that and if you're a Christian you should be thinking that is a tragedy because that's exactly where God, I would imagine, expects his people, the church, to step in and be a father to the fatherless, to be spiritual parents. Because when we do that, we can change the trajectory of someone's story. We can change the narrative of someone's story. And that's exactly what happened for Timothy. Because though he grew up without a spiritual dad, when Paul showed up in Lystra, that dad stepped into his life. And suddenly he went from fatherlessness to having a spiritual father in the apostle Paul. In fact, when you read through the New Testament letters, what you find is whenever the relationship between Paul and Timothy is being described, the predominant image, the major metaphor, is that of a father and a son. 
In fact, let me let you hear some verses. In 1 Timothy 1, verses 1, when he's writing this first letter to Timothy that we've been spending the last few months studying, this is how he opens the letter. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Right? How does he address him? Timothy, my true child in the faith. Or then when he writes another letter, what we know in our Bibles as Second Timothy, and he opens those verses, this is how he greets them. He says, to Timothy, this is Second Timothy 1, verses 2 and 4. To Timothy, my, true, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father <clears throat> and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. What's Paul doing? Paul's talking like a dad. And he's saying, Timothy, I can't wait, my beloved child, to see you. I've been away from you too long, like a dad missing his son. He says, I can't wait to see you. The last time we said goodbye to one another, I saw the tears well up in your eyes. And every night and every day, I'm thinking about you and praying for you, my beloved child. Or listen to how he talks about him in Philippians 2. He says to this church in a city called Philippi, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. This is the passage Nate read for us so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him. He's talking about Timothy. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. Right? We could keep reading verse after verse, but here's what I want you to see. Whenever Paul is talking about Timothy or talking to Timothy, he talks of him like a father talks about a son. Whenever he describes him, he describes him like a beloved child, as though Paul has really embraced this call to be a spiritual parent to him. And throughout the letters, what you find is that you find Paul relating to Timothy in all the ways you'd expect a dad to relate to a son. For example, last week we heard 1 Timothy 5 verse 23. You remember that section where Paul is on this long discourse about here's what you do if you have good pastors and here's what you do if you have bad pastors and almost out of nowhere this crazy tangent comes 1 Timothy 5.23, right? He, go, he breaks into his thought to say, no longer drink only water but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. And we sort of scratched our head and said, why does he break his thought with that random instruction? Right? But he's like a dad. He knows Timothy's got some stomach problems, and so he wants to make sure to address that. That's what a dad does. Right? He wants to know about his health and his well-being. Is he cared for? Is he doing all right? I'll tell you, when I was in college, I went to college in sort of northern New York, and my parents were two and a half hours away. My father called me every day. Now, every day is not code for a lot. That's that's. He literally called me every day. He's Indian. My father called me every day, right? And we'd have the same exact conversation. It'd be, hello, hello. And then there's this awkward sort of silent pause. And then he would say, did you eat today? And I'd say, yep. All right, I'll talk to you tomorrow. And that was it, (laughs) right? Because that's what a dad does, right? 
We didn't have much more than that. that. That's sort of what Paul's doing here. Paul relates to this man in every way like a dad relates to a son. In fact, for the sake of time, I won't read you all the verses. When he talks to Timothy, he encourages Timothy like any good dad would. We should pause for a second there and hear that. Dads, when Paul is talking about his spiritual son, he is generous with words of praise. He publicly praises his son, both publicly so that others would hear it and so that Timothy would hear it. He speaks good words over his son, right? That's what good dads do. Do we not remember that God spoke over Jesus when Jesus was being baptized? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Right? When Paul's encouraging his son, he's just taking his cue after God the Father who spoke well over his son. And so likewise, you, you and I ought to know that there's nothing that can fuel a son's heart or a daughter's heart like good words that come from dad. And we ought to be careful that there's certainly places and times for criticism, but they should be far overshadowed by words of encouragement. You should almost see them like credits and deposits, right? There'll be times where you need to credit, but you've got to make sure that you've amply put deposits into that account, lest every criticism from you just feels like you're drawing on an empty account. You've got to make sure that there's ample deposits there, like Paul does with Timothy, my beloved child, my precious child, I see the gifts in you, my son. Those words are ample in Paul's mouth. And certainly, it's not that Paul's afraid to charge him or correct him or challenge his weaknesses either, for he does that also. As we've been reading through 1 Timothy, Paul's never been shy to say, I command you, I charge you. Timothy, get this done. The point is, in every way, Paul is raising this young man. He's taking him as under his wing, and he is spiritually fathering him. Now, here's the point. Here's the takeaway. What we tend to do with all of that is we tend to go, Paul's awesome. Paul is so special. It's amazing that Paul did that. Paul is such a remarkable man for taking this younger man under his wing and showing him the ropes and treating him like a son. Isn't Paul so amazing? Don't do that. Because Paul is not doing anything unique or anything remarkable or anything special. In fact, all Paul is doing is doing what Jesus said all of his followers would be doing. All Paul is doing is doing what Jesus said all of his followers would be doing. Paul's not doing varsity-level Christianity. Paul's doing ordinary Christianity. What Jesus fully anticipates all his followers to be doing. You see, when we're talking about spiritual fathering or raising up spiritual sons and daughters in the faith, all that is is just another way of saying discipling. What Paul is doing is he's discipling Timothy. He's making a disciple of Timothy. And and all that means is he's living his life with Timothy and following Jesus with Timothy in such a way that his life is rubbing off on Timothy so that Timothy is becoming more and more a follower of Jesus like Paul was. When we say that Paul was discipling Timothy, all we're saying is that he's following Jesus with Timothy in such a way that his life is rubbing off 
on Timothy's life. And that's what Jesus has said all of his followers would be doing. That all of his followers are disciples who will make disciples. I want you to hear that again. That all of Jesus' followers are disciples who will make disciples. That's basic Christianity. So that you hear it from Jesus' own mouth. Let me read you Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. This is Jesus who has come down from heaven, God in the flesh, to bear our sins upon himself, die in our place for us, rise again, proving that he has victory over sin, Satan, and death. He's about to return to heaven, promising to return, and before he does, he entrusts all his followers with a mission. And this is the mission, verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want you to hear that. Some of you have heard that since you were two. I want you to hear it again. Some of you have never heard that. Hear it. Jesus is giving this command. And who's this command for? It's for all his disciples. That's why he says, I'm going to be with you till the end of the age. This isn't just for those 12 that heard him. This is for till the end of the age comes. All my followers, I'm going to be with you. As you do what? What's the command? As you make disciples. And you're going to do that by going and baptizing and teaching. And that going and baptizing and teaching is all part of making disciples. Because that's what Jesus' disciples were to do. They were disciples who were to make disciples, who would make disciples, who would make disciples. We're disciples. That's what we are. I want you to hear that too. In the book of Acts, the book that tells us of what happened when Jesus went to heaven and the Holy Spirit came down and the church got started. In that book, we who believe in Jesus are called disciples more than anything else. In fact, the term Christian doesn't show up till much later. And it was sort of a natural outflow that as they watched all these disciples living like Jesus, they said those are the little Christ, the Christians, the ones who take after his name. And Christian is a good word, but in our day, there's a lot of baggage that comes with it. Because for us, there's this whole cultural deal that's sort of wrapped up into it. And so we say silly things like, I was born a Christian. When, when the scriptures would say there's no such thing. No one's born a Christian. In fact, we tend to use Christian as an adjective to describe things, right? We talk about Christian values. That's an adjective. We'll talk about Christian music and Christian T-shirts and Christian bracelets and Christian breath mints. They have Christian breath mints. It's called testaments. In the book of Acts, Christian's a noun, a noun. Because it's a follower of Jesus. Not something you're born into, not something you do, it's something you are. It's you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple of Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, then Jesus' command is that his disciples would make disciples. That's Jesus' command, basic Christianity, not varsity, basic ordinary Christianity for all of us. That Jesus' disciples will be people who make disciples, and those disciples will make disciples. That's, that's the command. 
It's sort of this sort of reproduction language, right? It's you will be disciples who make disciples. You'll beget disciples. We are disciples who beget disciples. We are spiritual parents who raise spiritual children. That's the call. To my single friends, hear me, because this should be encouraging to your heart. In Jesus' kingdom, you do not need to be married or be a parent to have children. So don't delay thinking that in some future day you'll follow and live out these commands. In Jesus' kingdom, you can have spiritual offspring even as a single person. In fact, one of the most meaningful relationships between father and son was Paul and Timothy, a single man who produced lots of godly offspring and raised many spiritual sons and daughters. Hear me, Seven Mile Road. This is not optional. This is not, you know, Green Beret, Special Ops, varsity level Christianity. This is normal, ordinary Christianity. And we have to get this right. Otherwise, we will run the terrible risk of being a people that talk all day long and do nothing. Otherwise, we'll run the risk of being people that have resources like no one in Christian history has ever had. We know more, hear more, can read more, can listen to more than anyone in Christian history has ever had access to. You literally have, from now till the end of your life, sermons available with a click of a button. More books than you could possibly imagine. More courses, curriculums, and all of it. And yet we certainly do not do as much as we talk. If we don't receive this as not just applying to some, but applying to me, then we'll take this and go, this is Green Beret Christianity. <clears throat> and that's a terrible disconnect. Right? If, if I ballooned up to 700 pounds, and you came to my house, and I had in my library every exercise diet book on the planet, and in my DVDs, I had every workout video you could possibly imagine. And when you came into my home, I was sitting on the couch, eating a Twinkie, watching Insanity. Right. You get it, right? That's, that's odd. Something's off. There's a, a disconnect there. And I wonder if we are not setting ourselves up to be this overgorged, rotund, always talking, always hearing, always learning, never doing disciples. Making disciples isn't optional. It's what Jesus said his disciples would do. We will be disciples who make disciples. Right? And this call is for all of us. Right? What, what is discipleship? Let, let me just tell you. It's not transferring information. So if you're sitting there going, this is only for the theologically learned because what discipleship is, is we're making disciples by transmitting information. That's not what it is. Or, or if you're thinking what it is in making disciples is, okay, so now I've got to gear up my evangelism. I've got to meet somebody and I see all non-Christians as having a target on their head. And I've got to somehow get them to pray a certain prayer and then I can add a notch to my belt and I've made a disciple. That, that's not it either. I read this week an article from a non-Christian who was saying, you know, Christians are the lousiest people because they'll befriend you uh, trying to get you to come to church or pray a prayer, and if you don't, they want nothing to do with you. 
And that's not what Jesus is talking about in making disciples. Paul didn't have a short-term relationship with Timothy. It was this deep relationship where he cared and he was concerned and he loved and he poured himself and invested himself into this person. Discipleship is simply you're following Jesus and doing that with someone so that your life rubs off on their life and they begin to see what following Jesus looks like through you. Perfect, no. Right? Are we perfect? No, we're broken, flawed, needy people. And in fact, we show our brokenness and our need for Jesus as we make disciples. It's living life with another with intentionality so that our life rubs off on theirs. And by following Jesus in front of them, they catch a vision for what following Jesus looks like. It's not for the elite. It's for all of us. I'll give you an example. Two weeks ago, there was a guy who came to sell insurance here. And we didn't buy insurance from him, but he turned out to be a Christian. And so I started talking to him and asking him how he became a Christian. And he said, it's a very simple story. He was going down a path he was now terribly ashamed of and living a life that he now regrets with deep regrets. But in that season, he met a Christian, a Christian who didn't see him with a bullseye on his head, a Christian who genuinely loved him and was going to befriend him and cared for him. And so he began to tell him about Jesus, and he heard with his ears what was coming from his friend's mouth. And then he said they, they hung out together one time, and he's with some friends, and someone brought a bootleg movie to watch. And he said that his Christian fa- friend felt deeply troubled at the thought of that, so he went online right there, bought a ticket to that movie, and then sat down to watch it. Now, I don't know if that makes it legally right or wrong, <laughs> but the point is, That deeply impacted this guy because he said right then it seemed like this guy really believes what he's talking about. Like like he really means that Jesus is Lord over all his life and and Jesus gets to call the shots and what he does and what he doesn't do. And for some reason it clicked. And from there this path went on that he heard the gospel and, and this song gripped his heart and now he follows Jesus also. That doesn't take a seminary degree. That's not special ops Green Beret. That's normal, ordinary Christianity. That's, I follow Jesus. He's Lord of my life. That determines what I do and what I say and what I won't do. And and I'm living that out and rubbing up against, my life is rubbing up with intentionality against the life of another so that they are seeing what following Jesus looks like through me. And I'll tell you, this is not just for non-Christians because non-Christians are not the only ones who need Jesus. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. If you've believed in Jesus for 20 years, you need Jesus. We never outgrow our need for Jesus. And so we need discipling. And I'll tell you, that happened to me. I was a Christian, and I went to Boston, and I've told you about my years in Boston before, but while I was there, an older godly brother took me under his wing. He never sat me down and told me, I'm going to disciple you now. It was just weekly trips to DePietro's Pizza on Highland Avenue in Malden, Massachusetts. And sitting there at DePietro's Pizza, his life was rubbing off on me. And sitting in his living room and watching his marriage and watching him fail and watching him repent and watching him follow Jesus with intentionality and relationship to me rubbed off on me. So much so that when I moved here four years ago, I met Binu out of the blue and started meeting with him. And I didn't even know it, and now he would tell me I discipled him. 
I, didn't, I never sat him down and said, I'm going to disciple you now. Right? But I think all that I did was I did to him what someone had done to me. And I think that's the pattern. We're disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. This is ordinary, normal Christianity. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this and do it. So to that end, let me say four quick words as just words of application. If you're hearing this and you're going, okay, that's me. Let me, let me walk you through four quick things. First, you can't start any of this without answering this question. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? That's where you got to start. Notice, please, I did not say were you born into a Christian family. Notice, please, I did not say do you go to church. Notice, please, I did not say do you give money to charities or try to do good things or try to avoid bad things. I said, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? You see, what sets Christianity apart from everything else is we're not inviting you to now start living a better life. That's not the Christian message. That's not good news. Everybody knows, go try and be a better person. Christianity is an invitation to a person. His name is Jesus Christ. Every other religious leader will come and say, this is the way, follow it. Jesus is the one who's come into the world and said, I am the way, follow me. What I'm giving you, what, what I'm inviting you to is not a set of doctrines or some creeds or some beliefs because doctrine didn't die for you and creeds didn't die for you and beliefs weren't nailed on a cross for you. A person was. His name is Jesus Christ. He was God in the flesh, come down to earth in great love for you. And he lived the perfect life you have never lived and could never live no matter how much you strive. And he lived it for you. So his life for your life. And then that perfect, sinless, perfect human being, though he had done nothing wrong, went to a cross so that the sins of your life might be placed on his shoulders in love for you, his death in your place. And then bearing your sin and your guilt and your iniquity, this Jesus died and was buried and rose again and in his resurrection showed he had power over sin and power over death, and power over hell, and power over all the things that hold your life. And the question is, have you received that message so that you're a follower of him? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you a disciple, meaning he's now Lord. He calls the shots. He's master. He dictates what I do. I have given up all control because he is Lord, and I've received it. I've followed this person. I'm his disciple. And a good sign of whether you're a disciple or not is, look, if there is a disconnect in your life between who you are and what you're doing, you're a disciple who makes disciples. If you're not living that, there's a disconnect. A sign of a disciple is you're ready to repent and conform your life no matter what it costs to obey. No one's got to twist your arm or convince you somehow that your sin in this area is a problem. If there's a disconnect and you see it, you're ready no matter what the cost to repent and to bring your life into conformity to what he's commanded. So, if you're a disciple of Jesus who is not making disciples, there's a disconnect. And a sign of whether you're a disciple or not is, do I need to stand here trying to twist your arm, convincing you that that something off needs to be amended? 
Or do you sense even in your heart this weight that says, God, my life is off here. And just like I needed grace that first hour when I believed, here I am again needing grace. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Visit me again with the same mercy I experienced the hour I first believed. You never outgrow your need for Jesus or grace or the gospel. In fact, all your failings do is remind you again how needy you are. Mature Christians are the most needy people in the world, most needy of grace of all. So are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? And if you answer to that, yes, then here's the second thing I need you to deal with today. Do you accept then that as a disciple of Jesus, you have been given a command to make disciples? I, I can't even have you wait till you walk out the door to answer that. I need you to answer that in your soul. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? And if so, do you accept today that you, not the pastor, not the trained professionals, not the special ops clergy elite green beret of Christianity, do you accept that as a dis disciple of Jesus Christ, you have been commanded by Jesus to make disciples? And if your answer to that is yes, then your heart is tender and in the right place. And then you can seek God's help for, okay, so how do I go about doing that? And I'll say two words to that, and then we'll be done. If that is you, then the first thing I would say as practical application to you is pray. The scriptures tell us that before Jesus chose his disciples, he spent a whole night in prayer seeking God for who these people should be, that he would intentionally live his life up against and rub up against so that his life would rub off on theirs. Spent a whole night in prayer trying to seek who that should be. So if it was not beyond him to do that, it ought not beyond us to do that either. Pray, ask the Lord, who is it that you want me to live my life with intentionality with so that my life would rub off perfect by no means? My broken, needy, Christ-dependent life would rub off on theirs. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind a face, maybe a friend, a neighbor, a relative, a co-worker, someone here. God may have already been orchestrating throughout your whole life natural relationships with someone, someone you have influence over, someone that you're connected with. You don't have to invent something. Maybe God's been orchestrating something for a long time for this very moment. But ask the Holy Spirit to show you, if I'm a disciple who's going to make disciples, if I'm going to spiritually parent, who should that be? And then, lastly, if you're a disciple who accepts the command that disciples must make disciples, and you're praying and seeking God to show you to do that, then lastly, go do it. Go make disciples. And if you're here going, wait a minute, wait a minute, what does that look like? What am I supposed to do? I have no idea what I'm supposed to do, right? I've never done this before. This is my first time. Here's what I would want to say to you. We had a dedication today. Today's Father's Day. You know, there's this beautiful correlation between the physical world and the spiritual world. Here's what I'd say. If you're getting ready to be a spiritual parent, to be a disciple that begets disciples, an encouragement I would give to you is nobody knows what they're doing. Have you ever talked to a first-time parent? There's like this panic in their face because nobody knows what they're doing. No, I've never met a first-time parent that knows what they're doing. Right? You parents, do you remember what that season was like? 
That whole nine months, you're reading ev what to do while you're expecting, while you're expecting what to do. I mean, you're reading every blog, every book, every parent that has two kids that made it past five, you're like, that's a successful parent. What am I supposed to do? Teach me, please teach me, right? You're learning everything that you can because you have no idea what you're doing, right? And then when the hour of the birth comes, you're in that room, do you remember what that was like? You have no clue. Is she supposed to look like that? Why is she purple? Why does she look like a lizard, right? And then as they grow, is he supposed to poop this much? Is he supposed to eat this much? Is he, is he talking at this right age? When's he supposed to start talking? Is he walking yet? When's he supposed to start walking? I mean, you have questions and questions and questions, and you just come to accept, I'm not going to do this perfect. I'm not going to do this right, but what other option do I have? Am I going to not parent? Am I going to not do this? Am I going to abandon this as though it's not my responsibility? No. So in the same way, I'd say to you, listen, we are disciples who have been called to make disciples. What does that look like? We'll figure it out. Learn, read, study. You have more resources and materials than you could possibly exhaust. Find someone who's making disciples and ask them like you would find a parent. What are you doing? What does this look like? Right? Do whatever it takes, whatever you can to learn so that you might do this. But, I, but I'll tell you, there, there are teenagers who become parents all the time. And so in, in some ways, some of us are young in our faith. We're like teen parents, babies ourselves having babies, but that's the point. We're disciples who make disciples. That's Jesus' call. Paul's relationship with Timothy was this father with a son. He loved him. He encouraged him. He corrected him. He challenged him. He lived his life following Jesus in front of him so that his life rubbed off on Timothy's. And that's the call for all of us as well. Let's pray together. Father, I give you great thanks for these brothers and sisters who look at me now. I thank you for each one for the care in which they've heard and been open and receptive to your word. We ask that the Holy Spirit himself would come now. Your word tells us that this very moment is a very vulnerable moment because when the word of God goes out, sometimes it's plucked away by our enemy before it even has a chance to land on our hearts. Sometimes it's received quickly and it springs up with great enthusiasm, but the first wave of adversity comes and it burns away. Sometimes it takes root and it grows, but the cares and concerns of this world choke it out. But every now and then you say your word will come, it'll be planted in our heart, it'll take root and it will grow. It will actually do something. And we will be transformed and fruit comes from a result of receiving this word. That result is what we ask the Spirit to now produce among all who have heard your word today. We pray that if there are any here who don't know Jesus Christ, we're not calling them to a system. We're, we're not calling them to a set of doctrine or creeds or beliefs. We are calling them first and foremost to a person. And we pray that the Holy Spirit even now would draw people to Jesus Christ. That they would give, you would give new eyes and a new heart to see Jesus. That if we've been stuck in thinking that going to church or doing things makes us a disciple, you would correct us today and make us truly yours. And those of us that are, would you help us to obey your word? That Seven Mile Road Church would be a church of disciples who make disciples who make disciples. 
and we know that you have promised that if we do that, you will be with us in that endeavor till the end of the age. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.